podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we're exploring the theme of love in The Hunger Games. Love. Yeah, I love love. So to start us off, we have a quote. This quote comes from Mockingjay. After PETA broke through and warned District 13 of an incoming attack, and when Katniss realized the danger he was in. In the end, the only person I truly want to comfort me is Haymitch, because he loves Peta too. He does love Peta too. He does love Peta. And I love that she knows that, even though he would never say it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a good example of the way that their relationships work, the three of them, mm-hmm. that they all have very interesting relationships and very different relationships. And her relationship with Haymitch is very different from Peter's relationship with Haymitch. But that after going through the awful things they've gone through, they have built up that love and they do understand and care for each other in ways that other people can't really. And I like that that's the case even after she was so furious with Haymitch Mm -hmm. because he betrayed her trust and their plan to get Peta out or not to get Peta out but to save Peta um in the, the in the quarter quell and so yeah she's basically been so angry at him <laughs> up until this point but yeah I, I mean I I can relate to this in the circumstances that, that that's happening under but I can definitely relate in the way of there's certain things that are whether well, difficult things painful things or even just exciting things that the only people you really want to share in it with you are other people who feel similarly as you do about the things so i i totally relate to that yeah absolutely and especially in those difficult things like here katniss she is scared for Peta. she is considering the possibility that he might be killed for what he's done mm-hmm. and So Haymitch will be able to mourn him in a way that's similar to how she would mourn him. Mm -hmm. And so that comfort is more meaningful because it comes from that that shared love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, should we move into your character? Sure. Yours as in? The one that I made and created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I sent it to Suzanne Collins and she put them into the the books. could you give me her address, her <laughs> phone number? Email? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll put that offline for sure. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll pass Thanks. it over to you. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about PETA for this theme. What? <laughs> you? PETA? Because I... Because you, know, you couldn't help think about yourself? I mean, <laughs> that's certainly part of it. I think that, that PETA, as a love interest or Katniss, and, and in their relationship, I, I empathize with him a lot, and I appreciate him a lot for what he does. Because I think that he, he loves Katniss, and that is clear. But there's lots of characters who love Katniss. You know, many, many of the least substantive views of The Hunger Games are how it's about a girl who has two boys love her. Mm-hmm. And I think that, as we've shown in this podcast, there's a lot more to it than that. But Peta is one of those boys. But I think that what's great about Peta is that he doesn't just love her. It's not just that he sees her and loves her, but that he treats her lovingly. And that his love for her is an active thing in their relationship. And it's something that I, I so appreciate. And, and it's why I think that she should end up with Peta. Why, why the two, if she's going to end up with anyone, it should be the person who she's experienced these things with and who the two of them have been loving to each other 
especially Peta being loving to her. And I think, too, that it started out, he liked her because she could sing really well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he noticed things about her that he liked. But it was more like he had a little crush. And then he liked her. But I would argue that he didn't love her until, yeah, he started doing those loving acts and was interacting with her. Exactly. I, I think that the bread that happened when they were young, that is a loving act. Mm -hmm. a, a, it is a compassionate act. And it's tied to his kind of vision of her. But he doesn't really know her at that point. Yeah. But the more he does it's get like to know her... you're supposed to love your neighbor sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. But the more that he, he gets to know her and the more they build their relationship together, I think the more that they are loving to one another and in particular that we see Peter be loving to her. One thing that we've talked about a lot because I think it's one of the most powerful things that Peter does is apologize for how he has treated her at the beginning of Catching Fire. You've, you've talked about this before. I have no memory <laughs> of that. Our listeners have no memory of that. But to briefly touch on that again, <laughs> I think that that is a loving thing to do because it's within the context of someone who just loves her. But instead of being the problematic and tropey vision of I love you and I must be with you, it's I love you and I want you in my life and I don't want to make it so that it's hard for you to be around me, especially if we have to be around one another for survival. And mm -hmm. so he takes responsibility for what he's done and what he can do better. And he does what he can to support her and to be a friend to her. And I think that the decision to be a friend is one that we don't see represented in media enough as a loving thing to do. To mm -hmm. be there for someone and to have a relationship with someone, even if it's not the relationship that you necessarily would want in an ideal world, it's the relationship that they want and... If you love that person, you shouldn't be putting pressure on them to make that relationship anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I built into, when we get to the compelling questions, a disclaimer, you can't answer that instance. <laughs> well, then or, I'm glad I got it out of the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You snuck it in anyway. <laughs> but he does other things, I think, that, that show active love for her as well. When he volunteers instead of Hamish being uh, in the Court of Quell, he is in many ways trying to choose to sacrifice himself for her, to say that he would be better in the Court of Quell and Hamish would be better as a mentor than the other way around to allow her to survive. Well, and also I, I could imagine that he doesn't really want Hamish to go in there and die either. That was my, definitely a point that I was going to bring up yeah. and, and connects to our, our quote that, yeah, mm -hmm. there's also love there for Hamish. And it doesn't seem like in District 12, volunteering is a very common action. But here we're seeing that he's doing this. And I think that that is a, a loving and sacrificial choice to make. Mm -hmm. But the, the last thing I, I, I kind of want to touch on is when he's brainwashed in Catching Fire. And he is in District 13 and he has been made so that his reality, he sees Katniss as a mutt, as a monster. And it takes effort for him to change that paradigm and to challenge that reality which is something that we, we've talked about in the past but i just i find it really really powerful that he continues to do that that work and that even when he's put in the unit with her and he's put there in some ways as kind of a sleeper assassin against her mm -hmm. 
he is fighting against all of that. And he is still putting in the work for her to be loving to her. He, I think he's still doing loving actions at a time when you can't really say that he loves her in the same way because he, his vision of her is just so different from what it was before. And so if you're looking at just this idea of someone being in love with someone, I don't think that he can be in love with her in the same way anymore, but I think that he still is showing through his actions that he is treating her lovingly. And, and maybe that's because of his me his memory or his knowledge of having felt that way or, or been that way in the past. Um, but I think also part of it is just this is who PETA is. And, and going back to what you said about the bread, he is someone who I think who just loves his neighbor. And in this case, Katniss is his neighbor in a way that's really profound and, and really powerful for his life and his experiences that far. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I think PETA's great. You love PETA? I love PETA. <laughs> and I love PETA's love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think something else that's really interesting about PETA is that he seems to, instead of having this infatuated love where you just see the person's good qualities mm. and you put them completely up on a pedestal. Not that he doesn't do that maybe in certain ways. Like, yeah. So after the brainwashing, you know, he's like, I'm trying to understand why I liked you so much. Like, you're not very anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely seeing with, with different eyes. But there are other ways where he knows her well. And so, for example, when she first talks to him about running away from District 12 in Catching Fire, whereas Gail was like, when she was talking about we, and then she mentioned Peta and Hamish too, that she would want them to come with with them. He he got upset about it. Whereas Peta automatically was like, "Okay, who is we?" Because he knows that it's not just going to be them two. Mm -hmm. He knows that there are other people in her life, even if he doesn't have a relationship with them. But he's observed her have a relationship with them. And so, yeah, I think that there's certain ways that he doesn't. Like, he's definitely a romantic. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of ways that he doesn't romanticize her. Exactly. Which is important. And it's, I think, also a strength of the narrative that it doesn't romanticize things that aren't meant to be romantic. Um, another thing that, that came to mind was, was how in Catching Fire, they often sleep together just so that they have someone there to... to comfort them and, and hold them during nightmares and mm -hmm. during these these awful experiences and so many narratives would put this forward as look at them they're touching they're in bed together they're, they're you know this is a romantic moment and that's not what Suzanne Collin does at all this isn't romance it's survival it is trauma and it is yeah, surviving that trauma with whoever is there to help and support you. And that's what they're doing. And I think that is loving, but it's mm -hmm. not romantic. Yeah. I mean, she she's definitely more comfortable with him than anyone else. Like, she doesn't really like anybody touching her, mm -hmm. but she doesn't mind him too. So I think that, that there are differences between how it would be with him versus other people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's a coping, comfort, solidarity thing. Exactly. Yeah. So interesting that you brought up Katniss and Peeta because I want to talk about them for my plot point as okay. well, but more just like their relationship as it is like seen in Pan Am 
because I just feel like there's some parallels to our own world in a few different ways. So, Like they would have been given by the capital a uh, portmanteau name of Kida uh, or uh, Patness. Oh, uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so I think in some ways it has some parallels to like reality TV mm-hmm. where oftentimes, or I don't know how often, but definitely we know producers, editors, everything are involved in these romance-based reality TV shows. More like fomantic. <laughs> exactly. And that definitely is, is the case here. And it's a strategy. Mm-hmm. And that I'm sure on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, like, there are contestants that employ strategies to get whatever their end game is. Yeah. And, and that very much is a part of this because Peter could have told Katniss personally if he wanted to before going into the thing, into the arena, but this is actually strategically advantageous mm. for them to go in with. I mean, and... And based off of that, they even changed the rules to the game for a while and then tried to change them back because the capital was so compelled by, it seemed, this this love story that they hadn't really seen before for contestants in the games. And so you have that element going on. I also think, in a way, it's kind of like the fake dating trope mm. of you do it for fake <laughs> first but then you actually fall in love in the process that's true yes. right <laughs> exactly. i mean it wasn't fake on Peter's part i mean mm-hmm. again he played it up definitely more than he probably would have otherwise yeah. if he didn't know that there was a bunch of cameras and they needed medicine and supplies and such but yeah it's it's definitely follows that kind of those plot points as well yeah And then it also reminds me of how public relationships among celebrities sometimes plays out in our social media world. And (laughs) I just think, like, Peter would absolutely be the person, like, posting cute photos of them together. (laughs) And, like, Katniss would be, like, vehemently not on social media at all. Mm -hmm. Right? And, yeah, there there is something in the personality of different celebrities of how much they're okay with their own personal lives out there and, and the relationships they're in. And so I think that those elements are there. But what I, I really like is that as the books go along, it, it kind of shows how this publicized relationship flattens their actual relationship because yeah like as you mentioned the the sleeping in the same bed for for comfort the you know depth of connection they have because of their shared experiences in the games and i i like that it kind of really goes to show that you you really have no idea about the elements and dynamics that are at play in someone's relationship behind closed doors because you just don't know or you know even in people's heads so yeah yeah that's really interesting you bringing up the parallels with things like the batch and the bachelorette made me start thinking on a tangent about i wonder if in the capital there's the same kind of like meta views of the hunger games as they exist for bachelor and bachelorette i'll give you an example of what i mean 
on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, one of the like stock phrases that are used all the time is people saying, I'm here for the right reasons and saying they're not here for the right reasons. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't trust this other contestant because they're not here for the right reasons. And mm-hmm. For the right reasons becomes this kind of trope. <laughs> what even is that? But I wonder if that exists in the Hunger Games similarly. If, if Because they're, you're showing that there is a consciousness that some people are there not for the stated purposes of the show, not mm-hmm. there for the romance that it's supposed to be about. And The Hunger Games is different in large part because most of the people are being forced there and they're forced to kill each other. It's not the same as The Bachelor. I've never watched it. (laughs) But I wonder if there's elements in the capital where people are all like, I don't buy this love story. They're just faking it. Oh, I'm sure there is. (laughs) Or like, we just like... Katniss because she feels more authentic mm-hmm. than the others which yes Katniss was more authentic <laughs> because she's just not good at acting exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah but I think that that that's a really interesting point is is how the narrative of Katniss and Peeta's relationship exists for us as readers of the books but it also exists within the books and films as something that's created for the capital citizens mm-hmm. and so seeing it at those different layers is is yeah it's interesting be- because i think the way you put it of saying that it's it flattens the relationship is really really insightful um and a, gr- a great way of putting it oh well thanks chris <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> well should we move into our compelling questions sure what do you have for me i was wondering how you see love intersecting with trust in the hunger Games series Mm. Yeah. Um, a few things come to mind. One is Katniss, I believe, loves her mother, mm. but she doesn't trust her mother. Yeah. Not that she would like turn her into the capital or something like that, but that she won't put herself first or that in Katniss's view, probably better would be that she won't succumb to grief in a certain way that will cause those around her to suffer. Yeah. And it may not be malicious, but still dangerous. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that that break in trust from when she was a, a young kid having to step up as the person who's going to make sure they have food on the table and and have to break the district laws to do so yeah i I think trust was broken there Mm -hmm. and i I don't even know if it was regained or how much it was regained i mean at at the end of the books the mom does not return to district 12 yeah and so we don't have any idea how much their relationship continues or or not but I do believe that Katniss loves her mom. I think also, like we were talking about, Katniss was furious at Hamish. He broke her trust. Yeah. They made a promise and an arrangement, and he actively <laughs> deceived her. And and he took it too he, when when she was upset about it. Mm-hmm. Which I, for me, that's such a great scene of of them being angry at one another. And both understanding why that anger exists and, and seeing it as valid. And he was like, you were supposed to stay with him. Yeah. Like, then we would have gotten you both. And so they were they were both angry. But the deception was just so difficult for her because she had been used and manipulated mm-hmm. and exploited for over a year at that point. Probably almost going on two years. And it did 
probably changed their relationship to some degree forever. Yeah. But they were still able to love each other, comfort each other in their fear for PETA, and live around slash with each other for as far as we know into the future mm. at the end of the book. So, um, yeah, and then, then <laughs> you get to PETA after the brainwashing, which is really, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And, and I think love is not necessarily a constant state. Mm. And so there are times when because of the trust that is broken, because he tried to kill her and he doesn't know who she is anymore, that she is not loving to him. Mm. And it's, it's out of that hurt from not being able to trust this one person that she trusted for so long in all of these circumstances to be stable and to be there for her but overarchingly i think she still would continue to love him on and off (laughs) in her individual actions yeah up and up until the end what were you thinking yeah those are really really great examples i was actually thinking of katniss and gail as an interesting example because for me, I think that Katniss's love for Gale comes so much out of the fact that for a long time he was the only person she could trust. Mm-hmm. And that trust didn't just extend to having faith that he had her back, but trust in his competency, trust in his ability to go hunting with her and their ability to rely on one another in a way that she had never been able to rely on anyone, especially after her father died. Mm-hmm. I think that your your point about her mom... And her not being able to trust her mother is a great connection to this because she can't trust her mother, but she can trust Gail. And that, I think, is what really connected the two of them together, especially for Katniss, where she talks about how she doesn't really have romantic feelings for Gail or attraction to Gail, but Mm -hmm. she needs him in her life because she can't imagine a life without him because she has relied on him for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting example of And she can probably her. trust his motivations mm-hmm. because he's doing all these things as well to help their fa- his family not starve, you know? And I think when that is somebody's motivations and they've proven for years to put that priority at the forefront, yeah, that, that builds some amount of trust in someone's future actions. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you, you hit on a really important point there, which is that this is something that built up over years. Mm-hmm. That her time with Peta and then with Hamish, you know, was, was short, very short compared to Gail, where for most of her adult life, because unfortunately she was thrust into adulthood before she was legally an adult, but she was out there hunting and relying on Gail, and this was something that, yeah, was built up over that time. But the other two examples that came to mind uh, come from The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Okay. Um, because... Lucy Gray explicitly says that for her, love is about trust. You can't have love without trust. Mm -hmm. And that is very foreboding for their relationship, (laughs) her relationship with Snow. What? Snow's so trustworthy. (laughs) Most trustworthy character I've read in a long time. And I think that it's, it's very interesting how their relationship breaks when he makes it clear that he's keeping things from her. Mm-hmm. When he says he killed three people and she questions him and sees that he's not being honest and truthful with her. And imme- the first chance she gets, she escapes. She runs away. She starts in traps. 
and she realizes that this relationship is not what she thinks it is mm -hmm. and it's just that breaking of trust that does that which yeah i, I think is, is particularly interesting when seen in comparison to sejanus and snow <laughs> no <laughs> because sejanus trusts snow i know and he trusts him until the end so much so that he confesses to coriolanus that he is going to do something rebellious mm -hmm. and that is what leads to his death and so sejanus who is i would argue one of if not the most loving character in Absolutely. any of these books yeah in just how he treats everyone and, and what he's willing to do for other people ultimately dies because he is trying to do a loving action and he trusts someone who is not loving to him or really to anyone other than himself yeah and who also trusts no one mm -hmm. yeah the line that snow says at the end that he's going to to marry someone because he doesn't love them mm -hmm. and he never wants to feel like he has that kind of vulnerability again uh he never wants to have to deal with trusting someone again is just so awful for him and for the world absolutely and i think it's also interesting that his feelings for lucy gray so quickly change mm -hmm. when he realizes that she doesn't trust him mm. that's what does it for him and then he's fine to kill her oh that's so interesting because for so long his source of power and authority has been his ability to manipulate people mm -hmm. and if there's someone who sees through that he doesn't have that power over them anymore mm -hmm. yeah I mean, the, the, another interesting thing is the only person I wonder about in his life is Tigress. Mm -hmm. Because she survives yeah. all of those years. And sure, not in an amazing state for someone who is the cousin of the dictator of Panem. But, but a pretty amazing state for someone who, who lives is in Panem. <laughs> enemies with someone who loves poison <laughs> yeah exactly and so that's the only place i kind of wonder yeah you know if he did love her and i mean trusted her enough i guess not to try to take him down i mean she did help do that in the end but um or maybe he couldn't trust her to not do that that's why he moved her out into mm -hmm. the i mean still in the capital but doesn't seem like they have any interaction anymore yeah. at that point so yeah yeah the biggest unanswered question i think in, I in the world at this point <laughs> <laughs> what's your question for me so since you love love i do i'm wondering what act of love is most striking to you in the books and you cannot talk about PETA <laughs> at all <laughs> I mean if it's something you haven't talked about in regard to PETA before okay but if you have then no it's okay my, my the one that comes to my mind for sure is Sejanus entering the arena mm. in the Battle of Songbirds and mm -hmm. Snakes Ugh. is him going to sacrifice his life in a way that has no guarantee of utility or success Mm -hmm. and doing so when he is sacrificing so much not only his life but a life that is filled with privilege mm -hmm. and he's doing it for people who 
also hate him. Mm-hmm. Who, even yeah. as much as he wants to maintain his ties with Marcus and the other district people who look down on him as a traitor and as someone who they hate as well. I think that that is just so amazingly compassionate. Mm -hmm. It's showing his loving nature, the fact that he believes in what is right and that he's not affected by things that I think affect everyone. I certainly am more likely to treat someone kind when I think that that person likes me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not, I think, a good thing, but I think that it comes naturally. So where... that's why you treat me so unkindly. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah, so I think that, that the fact that he is doing this amazingly sacrificial, loving act for people who will never appreciate him mm-hmm. is even more showing how, how loving he is as a person. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's why I love Sejanus <laughs> so much. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love Sejanus yeah. so much. Yeah. But, I mean, he also, he, he goes into the arena to die mm-hmm. as this politically defiant act. But also, he brings with him breadcrumbs mm. to put over Marcus's body in accordance with their cultural custom. And even when after Snow goes in there after him and he decides to leave with him, he is like, we can't leave his body here. And they try to take it out because he's just not willing to have it be there and have animals eat it and, you know, yeah. stuff. And Oh, Sejanus. Sejanus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, did you have a different thought for the most loving action? I didn't say the most loving. I said the the a loving act is most striking oh, to okay. you. Okay. Um, but what strikes you? <laughs> but along similar lines, I I was thinking about Cressida and Masala and and these other capital rebels and. Mm. It's love that doesn't have any self-interest involved. And something that's stayed with me since reading Soren Kierkegaard's uh, works of love was this little part of a chapter, maybe it was a full chapter, about loving the dead and how that's one of the most loving, because it's one of the most selfless forms of love because you're loving someone who cannot reciprocate in any way so i think when you are doing something that you aren't going to benefit from in any way or like in sinna's case you are going to die because of you know it's just like you're gonna suffer because of it you're going to be tortured you're going to be killed or you'll just you know maybe die in the process of doing it through war or whatnot and you're not even doing it for a close personal relationship you have. These people in the capital who were rebelling, it was for strangers to them. It was for people they don't know, yet they were willing to forego all of their status and privilege and all the comforts of their life for something that probably a lot of them saw as a a future they wouldn't even see Mm -hmm. so yes that's moving to me yeah absolutely that's so true especially for those like Cressida and Cinna you know Plutarch 
clearly expects something from his rebellion. <laughs> well, and even if it doesn't work, he's like, oh, well, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Whereas they are really, I think, risking much more for much less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't we move into our missed opportunities? Sounds good. What do you have? Mine is that I, I don't really see, and this is maybe a fault in my own reading, but I don't really see a profound engagement with what it means to be loving when you are in rebellion or in a war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you are committing to violence against other people. Yeah. What it means to act lovingly and compassionately. Um, I think that there are kind of levels of that where Katniss, for example, goes and speaks to the people of District 2 to try to like get them to lay down their arms. But I don't see there's much of a, a kind of wider discussion on that. And especially for Katniss, most of her focus on this is the protection of those she cares about and revenge against those she feels have, have harmed her. Mm-hmm. And that's not loving. I mean, I would say it's mainly revenge against Snow. I don't think she's really trying to find revenge against anyone else throughout the series. Uh, Even Cato. It agreed was like mercy. Until coin i would say there's an element of revenge there too there's also an element of toppling a dictator before they can become a dictator but i would argue that if she didn't think that coin had killed prim i don't know if she would have made the same decision maybe she would have but i think she she might have she very well could have yeah but i mean she's just like look at everything that we've lost and gone through and we're just gonna have another dictator like no yeah but certainly her going after Snow in Mockingjay, I think, is a good example of that. Yeah. And yeah, and that, that revenge that, that pushes her is not a loving Mm-mm. thing. Yeah. It's something that is destructive and hateful and violent. And I think it's the reason why I didn't love Mockingjay the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the first two books so much. And then Mockingjay, especially the second half, I just felt like there was all of this awful death and destruction for purposes that I felt were, I could understand and empathize with Katniss, but I also wouldn't have wanted her to be making those choices in those ways. And so it was, yeah, it was hard. And, and I think that since I've, I've grown to appreciate it more, especially for the interactions within the characters as they're going through another experience, uh, Hunger Games-like experience, mm-hmm. but I think that seeing Katniss's motivation that way is still something that, that kind of... It's something it's hard for me to sit with. Totally. I mean, because it's like you like Katniss as a character and then she's doing something that you just can't condone Mm -hmm. and Finnick dies because of it. And Finnick is the one we really care about (laughs) that like died because of it. But all of these different people died because of it. I mean, I like Castor and Pollux too. You don't get to see a lot of them, but like that also was like, what? Uh, You know, and Boggs. You know, I, I thought that... I mean... No, I'm I'm gonna be terrible, but one of them survived. Castor Pollux. I don't remember yes. which name. Yes. It was with which, but yes. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's just something that I would love to to see a little bit more engagement with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also can understand that that's not what the books are about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I I do appreciate that they have moments of it where it's like she wakes up from a nightmare but it like started describing it a bit of like Mm. all of the people that she feels that she has killed yeah 
And so it's like you see remorse associated mm-hmm. with it, but it could be really easy to look overlook those things because it's not as prominent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I was also thinking similarly because I'm a pacifist and along my journey of becoming a pacifist, it was this, you know, some theological ideas about love mm. that that changed that for me and and I really appreciate that early Christianity they were like no you can't be in the military and be Christian because you cannot kill someone and love them so those things are incompatible yeah which is sadly sadly so divorced from Christian reality now particularly in the United States but that is such a compelling idea it's like you they can't exist at the same time love and killing and so yeah it is definitely something that always you know will pop up in my mind as I'm reading through these books yeah yeah Yeah. another thing that I was thinking of I'll just tack on to the end since that was one of my missed opportunities is I I just wish we got a little more between Finnick and Annie Mm. because you know that Finnick has this deep love for Annie and you assume Annie has it for him you don't get to spend much time with her at all but yeah it's just one of those things that I think it's a lot easier to say on the page like she is you know mentally unwell or unstable however it would be the best way to phrase that in in some ways and sometimes partially because of the trauma that she has undergone yeah and this super sought after man who has not been able to get out unscathed absolutely not but seems like his mental health is a bit more stable the fact that that is a bit out of balance I think without more context for their relationship and how they interact in it that's a little bit difficult for me Mm. because you don't want it to be like he loves her anyway sort of thing because that's a very problematic narrative or like look at how heroic he is because he loves this woman exactly exactly and you know sure codependency exists you know i have heard of this yes yes (laughs) um and so, like, that could be an element, but we just, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just wish that we got more of, of their relationship to understand that better. Yes, though I don't need anything to make me even more sad that Finnick dies. <laughs> because that would <laughs> we'll never just, recover. yeah, make me... No, a part of me and... wanted to name my cat Finnick because I love Finnick. But then I was like, no, but then I'm going to be sad every time I see my cat. <laughs> <laughs> The bittersweet love that we have for Finnick. <laughs> exactly. And he's taken from us. <laughs> yes. Well, what is your takeaway? I think my takeaway is just to really appreciate the relationships in this series so much more. Mm. So often when I think about what I love about this series, it's the world building. It's the ways in which systems interact with people and oppress people. And all of that 
reflects a lot of the systemic oppressions that we see in our own society and how how much i love seeing a great narrative that utilizes those so explicitly but this discussion of love i think has really helped me to also recognize the compelling relationships and dynamics between the characters of the stories in ways that are also really impactful for me in in why i love the, the series yeah yeah definitely what's your takeaway I think my takeaway is that, like everything that Suzanne Collins does in these books, she makes love complicated. And mm. and I know I use that word a lot, but like I love when they complicate things because life is complicated. And how much more so would it be in war zones, in situations like this, right? And so I think you see... Peta loving Katniss and trying to save her but at the same time sometimes he takes some of her agency away but at the same time he killed Brutus right and so you you have these things that make things complicated that yeah part of Katniss's motivation for revenge is only because she loves the people that Snow took from her Mm -hmm. that and, and I think also, you know, more big picture, all of the districts that are under this oppression. And, and so, yeah, sometimes love as a motivating factor can be complicated and in how it sometimes results in you not loving um, other people. So, yeah. Hmm. So basically, I love love, you love complications. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I love you. (laughs) Well, can you bring up what we're discussing next week? Maybe that will be complicated. (laughs) I mean, if I'm going to be in the conversation, probably I'll be complicating things. Yeah, so next week we are going to return to Avatar Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, and we are going to be looking at those series through the theme of loneliness. Okay, loneliness and avatar. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at Patreon if you want to become a supporter of the podcast and get access to all sorts of extra fun content. That's at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We want to thank Kimberly Tele Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out!